Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Michael Reed Show with Airgrid. Tuesday morning, the 17th of December. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Boris Johnson is going to get Brexit done. The withdrawal agreement bill will be put to a second reading in the House of Commons this Friday. It's expected to be completed by the end of January. The result of this will be that Northern Ireland will leave Europe differently than the rest of the UK. A border could be created in the Irish Sea and an economic union created on the island of Ireland. With nationalists winning the majority of seats in Westminster, the DUP humiliated and set to agree to return to power sharing, everyone agrees that the dynamic has changed in Northern Ireland's politics. Whether that change in dynamic could result in a border poll or a reunited Ireland for that matter is an issue of disagreement. The British government says no, the time is not right, there are no grounds, it says, to hold a referendum. The Irish government agrees and says talk of a poll is not helpful and Fianna Fáil is split, divided on when or if a referendum should take place. As you'll read in this morning's Irish Independent, a senior Fianna Fáil TD, Stephen Donnelly, has said the government needs to come up with a detailed plan for United Ireland after claiming England couldn't give a fiddlers about the North. His views, though, are at odds, it would seem, with the party leadership. Mark Daly is a Fianna Fáil senator who compiled an Oireachtas report on uniting Ireland and has been campaigning for some time on for a border poll, and he joins us now. And a very good morning to you, and thanks indeed for joining us here on the programme this morning. I think you're happy to point out how you're at odds uh, with uh, the view of uh, the Northern Ireland Secretary and perhaps the Irish government, uh, but it would seem as though yourself and Stephen Donnelly and others in your party are at odds with the leadership on this issue. No, I, just to be clear on that, I'm, I'm not calling for a border poll. I'm calling for preparation for a referendum. Uh, and that's the lesson of Brexit. The lesson of Brexit is you do not hold a referendum without long-term preparation, engagement and management. And in fact, a, a, an amendment to a motion by Fianna Fáil at Loud County Council talked about that very issue, about looking at the issue of preparation. And preparation is key on all these issues uh, in relation to the constitutional future of Northern Ireland. In fact... To what end? Obviously to holding end, a border to, poll. To the achievement of the aim of every political party inside the Leinster House and the main aim of the state in Articles 2 and 3 of the Constitution uh, about the achievement of a United Ireland and how that will come about 
in terms of a border poll, but all the preparation that would have to be done in advance. And the lesson of Brexit is, of course, the referendum should be the last item after you discuss all the other issues. And the mistake that Britain made was that they held the referendum without any idea what the future will hold, and in fact still don't know it, because they now have to go into the trade negotiations, which they're insisting is going to take one year. And in reality, the European Union has said that's not going to be the case. So what we're looking at is the issue of preparation, and that's what Stephen Donnelly is talking about, is preparation and the government uh, in the national risk assessment and I was on your show talking about this mm-hmm. that they do not see a border poll as a risk but it's too important and too sensitive to be dealt with in the national risk assessment but do you believe the grounds for a referendum exist well I mean, the person who is in charge of that is the Secretary of State, because under the Good Friday Agreement, the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland is the only person who gets to call the referendum. Uh, And also, unfortunately, is also the only person who gets to decide who gets to vote in that referendum. And that needs to be clarified first and foremost, because until we know who's allowed to vote... We cannot say that the grounds exist. But what we can say well, is that for the, for the first time ever, uh, unionist MPs are a minority of the MPs being returned to Westminster. The statement that you issued yesterday would indicate that you do believe that the grounds exist for a referendum. And whilst you didn't directly say uh, as much, you did say that uh, the Northern Ireland Secretary said that the grounds do not exist. But you went on to say uh, that uh, the... Uh, this appears to make the point that even when the political parties in Northern Ireland, whose aim and policy is the United Ireland, receive the majority of the seats in elections, the Secretary of State may still not call a referendum. Uh, I mean, if you're not saying it directly, you're certainly implying that the grounds no, do exist. Well, the, the issue here is the Secretary of State hasn't decided who's allowed to vote. And that goes back to the issue which was clarified and made very uh, clear in the Scottish independence referendum. Who they allowed to vote decided the outcome. And for your listeners' benefit, when they were doing the uh, exit polls on the Scottish independence referendum, uh, it showed that uh, while EU citizens voted against Scottish independence by 57%, now the Scottish independence referendum was lost 45% to 55%, British citizens who were born in England, Wales and Northern Ireland who were living in Scotland at the time of the referendum and were allowed to vote, voted against Scottish independence by 74% while Scots, who were born in Scotland and living in Scotland at the time of the referendum, voted 49-51. So the first thing we need before anyone can say that the threshold has been met is who is allowed to vote. And that hasn't been clarified. So until such time as we get that clarity, we cannot say. But we can look at the indicators, like the election result last Thursday, and say, well, unionists are Mm. getting eight out of the 18 seats. That's the first time ever that they are not returning a majority of the MPs. All the indicators are that at some stage in the future, there will be a vast majority of people, but all it takes is 50% plus one. But it goes back to the original point, Until we decide who's allowed to vote in the referendum, you, I, or Mm. even the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland cannot say that the majority of people are in favour. And that's why I'm asking for the preparation. But first of all, the clarity from the Secretary of State and, I suppose, the Irish government should be asking for this, but apparently they're unaware of the very fact that nobody knows who's allowed to vote in the referendum in the United Ireland in Northern Ireland. And in the Republic, of course, those who are allowed to vote are just Irish citizens. So we do not allow EU citizens to vote in our referendums or citizens from Britain or or elsewhere. So therefore, the first thing is clarity. And that's where the 
the line that I, I, we spoke about many times before, our policy neglect seldom goes unpunished. And the issue said by an ESRI research professor, John Bradley, and it, this is very true of the referendum on the United Ireland, and the, the first policy is who is allowed to vote. And then we can say the threshold has been met. But until we get that clarity, we cannot say that. Eight of the 18 MPs uh, going to unionist seats, uh, the DUP, nine to nationalist seats, uh, two to the SDLP and seven to Sinn Féin and one uh, to uh, the uh, Lions. Uh, But uh, do you believe that a border poll would carry? Well, that depends on who's allowed to vote, you know, and that depends on the plan and preparation done in advance. How will the health service work? How will the education system work? It is only when people have certainty on all these issues that then we have a chance for the referendum to pass. But when there is doubt, when there is uncertainty, there is reason for people to go vote against any proposal. And, you know, we see in our referendums here, on average, 20% of people are against the issue no matter what it is. Um, but it's only when people have clarity that then they will vote in favour of something once they're certain of the future they're getting. And that's why it's beholden on the government to have clarity about the vision they have for the whole island, address the concerns of the unionist community who are fearful about their future on a whole range of issues, but the Irish government aren't telling them what that future is going to be like. And until we get that, then we cannot say uh, to them that their future is secure. And we need to make that clear that 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 is the case and that their identity will be respected and protected. uh, But the government aren't making that case. But it goes back to the first issue. Nobody can say, even with that election result, uh, who, whether or not, uh, a referendum would, would carry or whether or not the majority are in favour because, for example, in the Scottish independence referendum, they allowed 16 and 17-year-olds to vote. That does not normally happen on UK referendums. It didn't happen on the Brexit referendum. If that was allowed to happen by the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland in a United Ireland referendum, well, then that would f- favour, you would imagine, the nationalist side of the equation because they are a majority hmm. uh, at primary and secondary level at this moment in time. And so all those issues are what needs to be clarified, and nobody can say, including the Secretary of State, that the threshold hasn't been met. Now, but it, it did say in that press release as well that the Secretary of State, in her pleadings to a court case where she was being taken to court by a unionist to come up with a policy and how the referendum would be called, how the Secretary of State would determine that the majority of people were in favour, the Secretary of State said that she did not consider an election result as an accurate gauge of public opinion on this issue. Mm. No. And do you? you? Well, I believe, as all politicians, whether you're on the council or you're on the Dáil or you're on the Senate, the only gauge of public opinion on political issues is a general election. All right. And what do you make of people like your party leader, Michal Martin, who says uh, that to suggest uh, that people think one way means that they would vote uh, in a a different uh, question uh, in a certain way. In other words, if uh, they vote, uh, as he was pointing out uh, at the time, uh, against Brexit, that they would vote for a united Ireland. And he says that the type of talk that you're engaging now is unhelpful and that you're inflaming the situation. Well, I mean, Fianna Fáil is putting together a white paper on Irish unity and that will be launched in advance of the general election. Obviously, all political parties will have in their manifestos um, uh, policy in relation to the issue of unification. Because but Michal Martin it, says talk of a border poll now inflames the situation well, and, I'm not, he, and he fundamentally, clear, and he fundamentally be, disagrees no, with no, that. No, no, no. To be clear, 
I start, said at the outset, I am not calling for a referendum. I'm calling for preparation for a united Ireland. It is the main aim of the state. And however long that preparation takes, and it will take years, we've seen the disaster with Brexit because of the lack of preparation. And even when they had the referendum, they had three years' worth of preparation. They still couldn't agree what they wanted when they voted for Brexit. And three years afterwards, they still actually don't know what they wanted. So I'm not calling for a border poll. I want to be very clear on that. I'm calling for preparation. Only 60% of unionists believe that Northern Ireland will be part of the United Kingdom in 10 years' time. Only 60%. So the majority of people in Northern Ireland, this is according to a Tory peer, Lord Ashcroft, who did the survey. So the majority of people in Northern Ireland, in the nationalist community, it's nearly 95% don't believe Northern Ireland will be part of the United Kingdom in in 10 years' time. So the majority of people in Northern Ireland do not believe Northern Ireland will will be part of the United Kingdom in 10 years' time. So therefore... The majority don't believe it, and therefore we should be preparing for it. Okay. We need to do a lot of work. But like, they, they, I, I don't want you to get the impression that I'm calling for a border poll, because that is what the Brexiteers did in England. That's what David Cameron did. That was a huge mistake, because they hadn't the preparation done. Okay. What we need to do is learn, learn the lesson of Brexit. Policy neglect seldom goes unpunished, and the Irish government haven't the policy, but First and foremost, we don't even know who's allowed to vote in that referendum. All right. Thank you indeed for joining us here on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Fianna Fáil Senator Mark Daly. The Michael Reed Show. Now, if you went uh, to the bottle bank last Christmas to find it was full, uh, you probably weren't uh, the only one. And you may be glad to hear that the banks will be emptied more frequently uh, this year, at least in County Louth. And Sinn Féin councillor Joanna Byrne is on uh, the line with us. A very good morning to you and thanks for joining us here on the programme uh, this morning. There were extra collections last year, but they weren't enough. Is that right? Uh, good morning, Mike. There was indeed, yeah, um, I myself and I'm sure many other public representatives throughout Loud re- received several complaints throughout the Christmas period last year that people not being able to avail of the facilities at the Bring Banks and despite best endeavours by the council to try and add on additional collections, um, they just couldn't cope with the demand. So yesterday I called on the council, just get proactive this year, let's plan additional collections in advance of some of the messes and squalors that were left around Bring Banks this year and let's try and curb um, any litter that, that people would have no other alternative but to leave lying around. or And, you know, and then they may get penalised and, and receive litter fines. So there's, mm-hmm. there's ramifications of all sorts um, for the Bring Banks not being emptied sufficiently. Right, quite possibly, uh, because uh, there's cameras on all of these bottle banks, aren't there? And uh, people think that if the banks themselves are, are full, that it's okay to leave the bottles at the foot of the banks, uh, but that can result in a, a significant fine. There's not cameras at all to bring banks at the moment. A lot of the cameras throughout the county were part of an anti-dumping initiative that was only ran for a three-month period throughout the year, and some of these cameras have been removed. Um, so litter is building up in, in certain areas and I actually raised this at the municipal district in um, the municipal district meeting in December as well yeah. and I will be pushing for them to be rolled out in a longer period of time next year because um, it was quite a successful scheme but yes on the ones that there is cameras and people who, who may think they're doing the right thing and mm-hmm. leave their, their bottles beside the, the burn banks they will be penalised and they will receive litter fines and yesterday the Director of Services of Black County Council clarified 
and confirmed that there will be no appeals process for these people who leave them beside the bring banks and not in the bring banks. You say that again, there, there, there will be no appeals process, is There'll it? There'll be no appeals process, no. Mm. If, they, if they leave stuff beside the bring bank as opposed to in the bring bank, yeah. they will be penalised. The other thing is, of course, uh, that people quite often take their bottles to the bring bank in plastic bags and the plastic bags then are, are quite dirty and smelly uh, and they leave the plastic bag there uh, and that is in itself littering and will result in a, a fine, as you say, with no appeal. Exactly. And they're quite substantial fines. Um, they're €150 Euro fines and an awful lot of people don't have that that money, disposable money to spare, you know, and they're trying to do the right thing and, and getting penalised for it. And bear in mind our Plastic bring banks have been removed as well. So some some people are going to bring banks thinking that plastic collection points are still there. They're not there. They're leaving them at the side as well and they're still being penalised for, for their endeavours to try and recycle. OK, but there should be more collections uh, this year, which is uh, the good news and a word of warning there as well for people. Thank you indeed for joining us here this morning. That's uh, local Sinn Féin councillor Joanna Byrne. Now, let's uh, go uh, to uh, local businessman David Brown, who's on the line. A very good morning to you, David, and thanks for joining us. I'm told you had uh, what you described as a humiliating and embarrassing experience on Monday of last week. This was about nine o'clock in the morning when you were making your way home to Navin from Blanchardstown. Tell us what happened. Um, hi, Michael. Good morning. Good morning to you. Um, I was getting on a bus in Blanchardstown. I've got cerebral palsy. And I was waiting on the bus stop in Blanchardstown. When the bus arrived, I tried to get on. Um, and as I came up the steps, bus driver held out his hand and he said sorry you've had too much to drink you can't travel and I was speechless which is unlike me Mm. but I I, I said excuse excuse me what's going on he said you've had too much to drink I said I've had no policy and at that stage I actually dropped my wallet because I was, I actually began to shake with uh, embarrassment. Mm. And uh, I, I take it at nine o'clock in the morning, you weren't drinking. Absolutely not. I just sent my, just left my son off the crash, mm. um, and I was on my way back home. And um, <coughs> absolutely no drink taken the night before, anything like that. And uh, <laughs> I wasn't even close to him to make that judgment. And uh, even if I was, I wasn't even close enough to But I wasn't. And I tried to explain to him that I said, well, Ponzi. And it was only that another passenger who was on the bus said, oh, for God's sake, he's got CP. Mm. Let him on. And the bus driver begrudgingly kind of waved me through and that was that was the catalyst for me wanting to complain I come across this quite a bit and it can be a bit like a water of of looks back but it shouldn't be and it made me realise when I saw the arrogance of this driver that this is not acceptable by any manner of means. So, uh, 
And well, to have slurred speech is a, a symptom of your condition, uh, yeah, yeah. and it's, I suppose, common enough with, for people who have cerebral palsy. Uh, have people confused you as being drunk before? They have done, in actual fact, I've had a, a number of occasions. Um, so I've kind of got used to being able to explain it. Yeah. But this, this particular incident just took me totally by surprise. Mm. And um, I think it was the lack of awareness. I mean, I think it is quite apparent that I have a disability. I can't hide that fact even though I might like to at times. But I can't. But I mean, I travel on the bus several times a week. It's never an issue. In fact, I, have, I know no many of the drivers, you know. Mm. Um, and you made a complaint to Bus Aaron and uh, they wrote you, I understand. They wrote to me. They, they gave me a kind of out-of-the-box reply of, of apology. Uh, which I feel in this day and age when everybody, especially public uh, bodies, have all these disability awareness uh, officers in place, I get this out of the box, you know, I'm very sorry for your for the inconvenience caused here. Uh, we'll address it internally, which is basically what it said. Mm. Um, but uh, I'm, I mean, I'm not looking for remuneration, not looking to steal or anything like that. But I, I think in this day and age, when you're painting colours of buses purple for disability awareness, and your disability awareness officers employed, I think somebody needs to pick up the phone and say, you know what? That shouldn't have happened, you know. Uh, you know, you can hide behind, you know, uh, nice platforms. But at the end of the day, this is something that happened on your service. Not like I'm complaining about a bus being late. You know? Yeah, and the email written to you uh, on behalf of Bus Aaron said the lack of courtesy afforded to you and indeed uh, the general behaviour of uh, the driver in question is totally unacceptable. The driver concerned has now been identified and arrangements have been made to interview this driver in relation to the incident and I would like to assure you that suitable corrective steps will be taken in order to prevent a recurrence of uh, this nature uh, in the future. But your point is that uh, apologies are all well and good, uh, that there should be some level of training for people who are dealing with the public so that they can identify somebody who has a, a disability, I think. Is it, David? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, I, I find it peculiar that they can, they can apologise before an investigation. I think even an apology after an investigation would mean more. Mm-hmm. You know, rather than saying, well, we're sorry, we're going to look into it. And then that's all I hear about it. Yeah, and you'd have been left on the side of the road had another passenger not made your case for you. Absolutely. And I'm well able to make my own case, yeah. but this bus, this bus driver was so dismissive that, you know, I, I would... You can hear by me, I'm fairly... Hmm. I take it as 
But I mean, I was just so flummoxed by the whole thing. I, I couldn't even get words out. Mm. You know, I travelled this bus several times a week. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and I, I, I think uh, the point is that even had you been able to get the words out, nobody was listening. Yeah. 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 Okay, David, listen, thank you indeed uh, for telling us uh, the story uh, and perhaps uh, there's a a lesson in that story for all of us and thank you for joining us on the programme as well. Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you indeed. David Brown is a self-employed IT consultant, local businessman and a sufferer of cerebral palsy. If it happens in the northeast, it's on LMFM. Text now on 086-1800-658. The Michael Reed Show. Now, the Irish Congress of uh, Trade Unions has uh, published a report on uh, the pay and benefits of uh, chief executives uh, across uh, the country. It's the fourth such report uh, this year under the title of uh, Because We're Worth It, the truth about CEO pay in Ireland. Let's talk to Dr. Laura Bambrick, Social Policy Officer with ICTU, the Irish Congress of Trade Unions. Good morning to you, Laura, and thank you indeed for joining us. And it would seem as though the chief executives might be worth it, uh, but uh, if they are, they're worth quite a lot and quite often more than 50 times what average workers are being paid. Yes, indeed, Michael. So uh, this year's report looks at the change in pay for CEOs at 26 of some of the largest companies in Ireland, those companies that are uh, trading on the uh, stock exchange. And what we found is in 2018, pay increased between 9% and 99% for some of these bosses. Meanwhile, the average full-time worker, their pay increased by just 26 six percent uh, on 2017. So what does that look like in money terms? Well, 22 of the 26 bosses were taking close to or above one million euros home each year and as much as 8.2 million, as is the case for the boss of the cement giant company CRH. Okay, perhaps he's worth it. uh, And uh, I suppose (coughs) it's up to CRH to decide, and I'm sure that that would be their argument. Absolutely. So the the argument for these uh, obscene uh, wages is that this is the market for talent, that we have to pay this price in order to be able to attract uh, the right people. But a recent survey conducted by Harvard Harvard Law School that looked at corporate governance and it looked at CEO pay around the globe, they found Ireland to have the second highest median CEO pay. So if there is a global race for talent, it's been led by Ireland. And the second point to make about that is In recent uh, days, we have seen one of the companies that we include in our survey, Tullow Oil, they lost one billion euro of the share value of the company. And what did they do with their CEO? They gave him a 1.2 million golden handshake to leave his position. So they paid a huge salary to attract that talent Mm. in. And when that talent didn't prove to be so talented, there was a very hefty golden handshake on the way out the door. So there's an inconsistency there about why we received these uh, obnoxious uh, salaries. Okay, maybe that was a mistake on the part of the company, but I take it there was a contractual obligation to make that payment. 
Well, uh, well, well, what I'm saying mm. is if, if, if the salary going in is based on your talent and your ability to perform, why is there a need in the contract to say that if things go belly up, mm. you'll be well remunerated? That seems I mean, a valid it, it, point, it's yes. Capital, mm-hmm. It's capitalism mm-hmm. on the way in the door and socialism on the way out. But if we have the second highest global rate for chief executive pay, uh, how do we fare in terms of average workers? Uh, because our, our pay rates are in general very high, aren't they? Well, I, I, actually, we have a very, although we have uh, the number of people at work now is at the highest it has ever been, we have a real problem with uh, low pay. Almost one in four full-time workers earn less than two-thirds of the median earnings. And this puts us at the third highest incidence of low pay across uh, advanced economies. Only America and Latvia have higher rates of low pay than we do. So we have extremes at the top and the bottom. And that's really what the report that Congress is highlighting. Mm. It's not so much about the size of the boss's pay, it's the gap between the boss and the rest of the workforce. Mm. And the point we're getting across is income inequality, large uh, income inequality, we're not looking for everybody to be the same, but big gaps is really bad for everyone including these high bosses. It slows down the pace of economic growth. Fewer people have less money to spend things on so the economy can't grow. And then it's really bad for society. So a whole range of social problems are made worse in countries that have uh, big income inequality. So they're more likely to have uh, health problems, mental health, physical health, crime levels are higher, even things like the incident, the number of uh, young uh, teenage pregnancies are higher, crime is higher, people don't trust their institutions, they're less likely to vote, mm. there's less community engagement. So the whole social fabric is under attack when there's less income inequality in society and that's uh, and that's what we're drawing attention to. You talk about somebody earning 8.2 million euro over the course of a, a year Laura it's an incredible amount of money and of course we begrudge it uh, maybe we wouldn't begrudge it if it was us who was earning that uh, <laughs> amount of money and uh, I'm not sure that there's many people uh, in uh, the world who are earning that amount of money but it is an awful lot of money uh, and uh, whilst it may be great money if you can get it uh, I think one of uh, the points that you're making is that uh, it's at somebody else's cost uh, that uh, that's money that's not available to the lower paid workers in uh, the company that you're talking about. Absolutely. And it comes at a wider social cost. So while you'll have the exception earning the 8.2 million, and as I said, you'll have many people on low pay, many of us are also fortunate enough to be earning enough to be able to pay our bills and Mm. to be able to have a nice standard of living. And yes, more money would be nice. But while we have so many people at the bottom of the income ladder and a few perched at the top, that has implications for all of us. It it prevents the society uh, living uh, more social, uh, the, the sort of standards of living that we all would want. But it, it, the things that we can buy with money. If they're earning 8.2 
million. Uh, does that not mean that there's 4.2 million uh, available to the exchequer as a result of taxes? Yes, and that is the argument. Uh, some people would have the argument that, look, it really doesn't matter mm. how much people are earning. Once we have a tax system that will, a progressive tax system that tax people that earn more, they pay more in tax. Well, there's a few problems with that. One, it's very administratively burdensome to work it at that level. And then it's unnecessarily costly. But the real thing is, unless we have 100% tax rates above income of a certain level, there's only so much that a tax system can do to rectify this. That's not saying there isn't a role for the tax system. Absolutely there is, but it's not a silver bullet. So one of the things Congress is looking for is to have more information on what the CEO is paid compared to what they're paying their member of staff, so what they're paying their own employees. We know what they're earning relative to all the workers, but are they paying their own uh, workers a decent wage? And the reason why we want to know the gap between CEO to Mm. average employee is that what we've seen internationally is when shareholders have this information, they are less likely to sign off on the uh, pay packets of the top management teams. They, 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 They want their top team to be paid less because shareholders recognize that it's really bad for business that if it looks, the optics look like their company is being managed by a fat cat. We've often heard that terminology uh, used. And the real pressure to have more uh, wage equality is coming from the shareholders of these companies themselves. But Irish shareholders can only do that if they have the information, and that information currently isn't available to them. Okay, and the average uh, top pay to average wage ratio was 59 to 1 but that goes up to 87 to 1 uh, in one particular circumstance uh, which uh, shows a significant gap to say the least. we leave it there for the moment though Laura and thank you indeed uh, for joining us here on the programme this morning. Dr. Dr. Laura Bambrick is Social Policy Officer with ICTU, the Irish Congress of Trade Unions. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns joins us with some of the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and good morning to everybody listening in. Tom from Dundalk in touch today to say that he was listening to your interview with Senator Mark Daly. And Tom believed that a united Ireland is inevitable down the road and that it will need preparation. So he feels the Senator is right in terms of the work that needs to be done. He's clear that he's not calling... Uh, for a poll but more to get ready when the poll does happen and to have everything in place because it will happen says Tom from Dundalk All right, thanks Tom Declan though feels talk of a united Ireland is not healthy in the current climate Mm. let's get Brexit out of the way first we already have a threat of a hard border we don't know what to expect and what the implications might be we really do not want to be ruffling the feathers of either side in Northern Ireland at the moment says I'm I'm not sure I think that the threat of a hard border probably has uh, been lifted as a a result Mm. of uh, the convincing win by the Tories last week Mary says do we really want to take on the North we can barely look after the 20 six counties. Mm. A text from a listener to say, who cares about Brexit and Michael, we are fed up listening to that rubbish. Talk about local politics instead. Okay. <laughs> On Bring Banks, um, 
Anne from Drogheda was listening into your interview there with Councillor Joanna Byrne and says... Uh, when people go to the trouble of bringing items to the bring bank, I think it's very unfair that they are penalised if they leave them down because there's not enough room in the bins. They are trying to do the right thing and I think the council needs to empty more regularly. Maybe that would solve the problem. Okay. Uh, Martin says, it annoys me listening to that conversation. Mm. They do better to go after those who dump their rubbish in ditches and on the side of the road that's going on all the time than those who bother to bring their bags to the bring bank and maybe just leave them down at the side knowing that they're going to be collected. All right. Well, it is littering, so you've been warned. Uh, and uh, as uh, for collecting the bottles more frequently, uh, that is what has been promised in County Louth this year. Now, let's uh, go to Athboy and local independent councillor David Gilroy on the line with a sorry tale if ever there was one. Good morning to you David and thanks for joining us. Uh, tell us what happened at O'Growney National School. Hey, good morning Michael. Well it was it's probably one of the most mean-spirited things that could possibly happen to anywhere. Um, so last Sunday evening about half past five a group of between five and six lads uh, took it upon themselves to take the tree from O'Growney National School in Athboy and to bring it away with them in the back of the car um, I don't know, this is a tree that's like it's a tradition in the school where the kids come out and they sing around the tree and they turn it on, like in every mm. school in the county. Christmas uh, tree, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so obviously someone took great exception to that um, and felt that it was better that that tree be in their own sitting room than in the, um, in, at the school. So it was a disgraceful act, mm. a disgusting they, act of that. They, they, they robbed the Christmas tree from the <laughs> National School. It's Lights and all. <laughs> Lights and all, yeah. Lights and all. So, yeah. Like mm. there's a fairly extensive mm. CCTV obviously covering that area. You know, there's you can see them interacting with the space a number of times over the course of the day. And then there was a car involved. So look, there's plenty of opportunity for these guys to be caught, thankfully. But on the on the positive side, the response from the community has been fantastic. Um, you know, there's been offers mm. of trees from the business association, from Lady Rath- Lady Rathvane, Club yeah. uh, Gale have offered lights. You know, so we expect the lights the tree to be back up today. Yeah, it's a dreadful lesson, though, for the children, isn't it? You know, at a time where, uh, you know, they're learning the meaning of Christmas and uh, it's a, uh, the spirit of Christmas that you would hope that would be, they'd be taking with them through uh, their lives, generally speaking, uh, peace and goodwill to all men and all that sort of stuff, uh, for someone to rob the Christmas tree. Well, look, it's the second time uh, the, the school has been in the media this week. Uh, they're also suffering from a large amount of very unwell children. Uh, you know, there's over 100 children unwell, and they were featured earlier on the week discussing about obviously there's some kind of a virus through the school. So a lot of these kids aren't feeling the best as well. You know, on top of that, mm. so it's um, so you have these group of adult men. There weren't young guys; there were adult men um, came in and took their Christmas tree. You know, and I, I can't imagine like you'd, you'd struggle to find something um, that would be lower than that. Mm. Sad creatures, no doubt about it. David, uh, thank you indeed. Uh, uh, thanks very much. And, and again, just, just to say that there will be a new tree in place today and all will be well for Christmas. Just in time for Christmas. Good stuff, good stuff. Uh, Glad to hear that, I'm sure. OK, thank you indeed, Independent Councillor David Gilroy. Now, let's uh, go back uh, to some more of uh, the calls and comments. Yes, Michael, a couple of comments in relation to your interview with David Brown and his experience on the bus. Uh, Tommy says he was livid listening Mm. to Mr Brown recount his treatment at the hands of that bus driver and he would fully agree that he deserves more than just a generic apology email. There's no excuse for the way that the driver behaved and even if he was embarrassed at getting it so spectacularly wrong in how he handled the situation, all he had to do was rescue it by holding his hands up and offering him a heartfelt apology. So that's his thoughts on it. Mick from Mm. Fingal says that 
he knows um, David personally since he was young and he was he's the most genuine type of a human being, Michael, that you could imagine. That he has worked his way through life and has done so well for himself. Mm. I can't say enough about him. Pity this has happened to him, but the driver genuinely may have thought that he had drink on him and just you know, reacted mm. instinctively, I suppose, is what he's saying. He says, though, that well done to David for drawing attention to it. And I congratulate him on raising the awareness on the public airways because it might make people think twice. Mm. Yeah, well, as David said himself, it is a, a symptom of uh, his uh, condition uh, that his speech is slurred. And is that the first time he's been confused as being drunk? And Georgian says, um, how awful, awful for that man, Michael. It must have been terribly humiliating I think though listening in it's a lesson to all of us Mm. not just to assume that a person is drunk because of the way they might be walking or talking and it's good to hear and to maybe it will make people think twice Deirdre says it's an absolute disgrace the way people with disabilities are treated and feels that drivers maybe need to be taught about disabilities it should be part of their training so that everybody that uses the buses are treated accordingly Okay. Uh, Mm. just in relation to it topic we were discussing yesterday about growing old in Ireland, Michael. I did a very interesting phone call from uh, a lady from Drogheda. She says, I'm 75, year, 75 years of age and I went into a shop the other day to buy some alcohol. A young man laughed at me and asked me if I, have, if I had ID. I know he was only joking, but I'm getting fed up of this type of comment, Michael. Because you are old, people seem to think they can make a joke about you. It happened to me a couple of times over the past couple of years. I was at the zoo and one guy uh, made a joke about a group of us making sure we had ID and not getting in cheap, uh, you know, on the Mm, the, the special passes. And she Mm. says, it's very demeaning. I feel here that you're treated as a different sort of species because you are older. And I know that people may not realise that it can be hurtful, but I just find it's really getting annoying. And maybe by reading out this comment, you Mm. might make people think twice about how they treat older people okay. so thanks yeah. to that list. I'm not sure what that. to make of that yeah yeah, yeah it was, it was yeah, an interesting yeah. one because mm. it's something mm. I wouldn't have thought about mm. you know mm. if someone asked me for ID I'd be delighted because I think they thought I was young <laughs> but <laughs> she dream on me I know yeah. but mm. she was making the point mm. that and, 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 and what, it did make me realise that if people are constantly making that joke that it kind of she just finds it a little bit hurtful that you okay. should be just able yeah. to be to be your age okay Another listener says, Pat, in relation to Ireland being one of the best countries in the world to grow old, I feel our health service is a disaster and there is room for massive improvement, says Jack. Another listener says, uh, Ireland is the best place to grow old, really. This government is suggesting for us elderly people to move out of our homes and live in villages in apartments. There are no room, no, there's no room in our hospitals and they're all suggesting, suggesting for us to get out of, let out our rooms in our house. I don't think it's a very nice way of growing old in Ireland. Okay. So there you go. All right, some interesting thoughts. Now, a consultation period on uh, proposed legislation uh, to outlaw hate speech in uh, this country was met with unseemly scenes outside of uh, Leinster House uh, this weekend with uh, two rival protest groups. One uh, campaigning against the politics 
of hatred and another carrying placards and slogans uh, including defend uh, free speech. Uh, one of uh, the people or groups involved in uh, the latter protest was uh, the Irish Freedom Party and the chairperson of uh, that party is uh, Dolores Cahill who's on uh, the line with us now. And a very good morning to you and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning. You're, good morning. Oppo- you're, you're opposed to, to the idea of legislation against hate speech. Why so? So I suppose uh, we would be for free speech uh, and free speech is one of the uh, pillars of our society and it's one of our core values and it's protected in the Constitution as one of the fundamental rights and it is the right of the citizen to express freely their convictions and opinions. It's Article 46.1.1. So that you should have uh, the freedom to incite hatred, is it? So I suppose this is, you know, like Voltaire is attributed or whatever. I, you know, I don't agree with what you say, uh, but I will defend to death uh, your right to say it. So I suppose we can learn from history. So Socrates, two and a half thousand years ago, uh, when they dis- uncovered or whatever, discovered or thought that freedom of expression and freedom of speech is what underpins societies and actually they um, invented or used this idea to actually as a way to live. So freedom of speech for them was a way to live and engage in society. So I think what we really need to do is to understand how societies work and to look over, uh, so Socrates was two and a half thousand years ago, that people need to be able to freely speak. And we have learned in history that uh, there has been countries and regimes who have clamped down on freedom of speech. And all that leads to uh, is actually more hatred. So Mao Zedong actually defined political correctness as to intimidate people from speaking the truth. So freedom of speech is one of the pillars of society to speak truth to power. And as Stalin did and as Mao Zedong did, if they wanted to have authoritarian and mm. tyrannical... And what if it's not the truth? What, what, on what, what if it's not the truth? What if it's just purely racist? Are, are you a racist or a bigot? So I suppose what we want to say is freedom of speech. So if someone says something that's mm. not true, then you can challenge it. So the whole thing we've seen... Would you consider yourself to be a racist or a bigot? So that isn't really an appropriate question. So what I would be is well, uh, I'm, a, I'm asking you because you well, said can you I just no, ask well, you well, well, well. Would, if I can, would well, you consider yourself? That's a very unusual question. So well, would you consider yourself? Well, let me explain the question. You 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 said recently in an, an interview that you will probably be called a bigot or a racist. So I think what you see, the thing what you have to look at is what makes societies work, and over. Hundreds and thousands well, makes, of years. What makes societies work? Do, do, do societies work better where you make decisions, you make societal decisions based on the race of the individual uh, that is in need? So I suppose it's you see what you have to do is to zoom back a little bit and to say why would you not want to? Because if someone you see the thing is you have children and teenagers and every year new generations come up. 
and they have to because find that's not their to way in the because world. that's not and to prioritize people on the basis of need because that's and not to prioritize people on the basis of need that's to prioritize people on the basis of race which is what you have suggested by making housing available to irish people first above and beyond anybody else so I suppose what we're talking about is freedom of speech. So, for example, if people, you know, pay their taxes and pay into pensions and pay... Well, we're talking about hate speech. People do you think it was... Do you, you know, do you, as a society... So I suppose there's a bigger picture, if you just let me finish. Mm-hmm. So there's a bigger picture about what really is Ireland and what is a society. So if Irish people, if you live and your grandparents live in a country and you pay taxes... Do you, now I'm not saying I have all the answers, but do you then, if you become unemployed or you need to have a house, do you have a right to have a house? Or if there are 7,000 million people in the world or 500 million people in the EU, is anyone that comes to Ireland, do they have the same rights? Because that actually, if you follow it through, undermines societal cohesion because then people will say, well, if someone who just comes, you know, from a European country yesterday, mm. and they have the same rights to me because there's no social welfare in Italy, and there is social welfare in Ireland, and in Germany you have to work for two years. Yeah, well, you, 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 as so a, you, you as a party want Ireland to leave the European Union, which is very much at odds with uh, the views of the majority of people in this country. And, uh, of course, well, as members of, exactly as members, as, a, of course, as members, sorry if I get, as members, as members of the and European Union, we, as members of, you're Euro- saying something that's not well, true, I hadn't, so. fi- I hadn't finished speaking, as members of the European Union, we have the right to go to Italy or Bulgaria, where I think uh, you were talking to some people and claim social welfare there. Can I just respond there? So in Italy, you don't. there is no social welfare, and in Bulgaria, it's 30 euros a week. In Germany, you don't get anything unless you work for two days. So the issue is, so part about free speech is that I'm not saying I have all the answers, but we have to be able to debate these issues without being called names, because what are people to be afraid of? So Irish people cannot go anywhere in the world and get social welfare as good as here. Whereas the whole world can come to Ireland and get social welfare. So it's not like Irish people can go to any other country, but all of the world or all of the European Union can come mm. and get a social welfare system and housing. And so that means that there is are that, 2 is, million is, people working in Ireland. Is that why you told... There won't be any social welfare or housing for them. Is that why you said in that interview people would probably call you a racist? So I don't know why you're... I think we're talking about freedom of speech. So yeah, I think what, are, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. issue is... We're talking about hate speech. We're talking, well... We're, I talking, mean, about paint, we're, we're, talking, I we're talking about painting a picture of people because they come from a different place. So the rally that was organised on Saturday by barrister at law Tracy O'Mahony was about free speech. And the one that I was involved in Irish Freedom was about freedom of speech. So we're not into calling people names. What we're into, like I'm a scientist and my whole work is about academic freedom and challenging what people say. Because if somebody makes, uh, you know, something, a statement in science or publishes a paper, mm. our job is to criticize it. And okay. that academic freedom and freedom of speech underpins all of research and all of the universities and the, the whole the way science works. And if somebody in this country is provided with housing and wasn't born in this country and somebody else who was born in this country is not provided with housing, you're suggesting that is wrong. And it gives people the impression 
I never said it was wrong. I said we need to discuss it. Um, if I was elected, I would say that Irish people have the first rights to housing full stop. Exactly. Unquote. Unquote. So you, you did say it was wrong. I didn't say Did I use the word wrong? Oh, okay, right. Well, so you, you, you said that... You to quote people accurately and not misrepresent Well, I've them. just quoted you but, exactly. Can I? Yeah, but I didn't say it was wrong. Well, if they should have the first rights to housing, full stop. Surely it would be wrong if they didn't well, have the first your, rights. Well, that's your, you know, that's what just your... Well, what else? Can I just say why? Can I just well, what give else you a could, what, why I said that? What, how else could I interpret that? So, for example, Nobel Prize winning economist Professor Hayek said you can have a welfare system. Now, this is nearly 80 years ago. You can have a welfare system or you can have open borders, but you can't have both. And I think, I suppose, what you need to do and what everyone needs to do is, why can we not, in Ireland, have a debate about the sustainability of our welfare system and our housing system and our pension system? Because there are two million people working in Ireland and we have a lot of homeless people. And I would ask the Irish people who are listening, do they think that Japanese people in Japan who have paid taxes all their lives have a preferential right to housing from the taxes that they've paid than someone who arrived on a holiday. So in Ireland, we had 10 million tourists last year. If all those 10 million people decided to stay, then the welfare system would be unsustainable. So all we are saying, like the Austrian or Australian immigration system, is that if we want to have a sustainable welfare system and a stable pension system, we have to control our migration we have to control whether, I mean, everyone can come and be a tourist mm. in the country, but there should be, and I believe that Irish people who have paid taxes and their parents and grandparents, they have a right to housing and social welfare first. Okay, and what about the Irish people who haven't paid taxes? So I mean that in families, that people, you know, so say if you are a student or whatever, so do you believe, we'll say, that the 10 million people who came as tourists, do you believe that uh, people can just come and then the next day get a house before an Irish person? Do you believe that? I believe housing is allocated on the basis of of need and uh, people are prioritised and some people are needier than others and where those people have come from is not relevant in terms of providing housing. Uh, their status in this country is something that is uh, determined uh, and as to whether that could be done differently is another so day. So can I work. just clarify then, there are 500 million people in the European Union, all of them have rights to come and have welfare and housing in Ireland. Do you think that they, all of them should come on, and the two million people working? Well, what about, all of the, what about all of the Irish people in Europe who are, are claiming welfare you, and housing and so on? Nowhere else in Europe do you have a welfare or housing right like we have. So it's not balanced. If it was balanced, you'd say fine. I think so it do you is think balanced. that the 500 I think million people balanced. in the European Union think, should get housing I it, here? I think it is balanced. I think there's people who are living fairly good lifestyles in other European countries uh, who are not working and are, are, are being housed by the state. And I, I, there I, are no, there are no, sorry, Ireland has, uh, there's no like welfare system in Italy. In Germany, you have to work two full years in Greece and in France. So that isn't true. So you think that the 500 million people in the European Union all they're treated come equally. here and get they're, housing they're, they're treated and equally. welfare? They're treated equally. You think they should be treated equally? So the they are treated people, e- The Irish people but, in France, 
Italy, Germany, wherever else you've mentioned are treated equally to the people who were born in those countries. Yeah, but you see, the thing is, they don't give them the social welfare and housing, okay? So they don't. So the thing is, this is why the discussion is important. It means if 500 million people can come Mm. to Ireland and get the welfare. So what we need to have the discussion to the Irish people is, Two million people cannot fund that system because the taxes will be, we just can't do it. We're already one of the most highly taxed workers. Did you? So, so that's what we're saying is, if you want this EU open border system, then we might as well tell everybody you will not have a pension. Well, we ha- well, there ha- won't be social welfare. We've heard welfare. that since 1974 or whatever it is. I, I mean, for God's sake, I mean, people want to remain in Europe. Uh, the Irish Freedom Party obviously has a, a different perspective to that. Uh, did you watch the boys who were scarred from being uh, attacked by acid on Clare Byrne last night? No, I don't. No. I didn't watch that, yeah, no. It was God, it was dreadful. No, I... uh, and it, 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 it was uh, as a result of racism and hatred uh, that uh, undoubtedly came about because of how people have been talking about people coming to this country and taking our jobs and our women and all of that sort of stuff. So I suppose if you look at the research, freedom of speech and open debate is actually shining uh, sunlight on topics and has the opposite effect. So a lot of the premises of if you look at the research, if you look at the research, if you look at the research, when you start spinning nonsense about people because of how they look, because of their race, because of their religion, because of uh, their ethnic origin, because of their national origin, because of their sex, sexual orientation, disability, or other reasons, uh, their gender perhaps, uh, well then it results. In violence. Um, I suppose what you're doing and is equating people openly debating things in society with things that I have never said or would never say. And I suppose we already have the prohibition of incitement to hatred act in uh, since 1989, and over 30 years there have been 44 um, prosecutions uh, in that act, and of that, uh, five people were convicted. So we already have what you're talking, all of the things that you're describing is incitement to hatred, which, of course, I would never do. But, on, you know, but we have in our Constitution, we have... Well, I think when you say first... Right for, that, well, I think when you say Irish people should have the first rights to housing full stop, uh, that's incitement to hatred. Hatred against somebody who gets housing, that is not Irish. No, I wouldn't say that. I would say... You see, the thing is, unfortunately, life, if you live in a society, I could be wrong, okay? But what I'm arguing is that we have to debate the sustainability of issues, okay? So if everyone who comes from the EU, for example, has the right to welfare uh, and a house, now, of course, you could do it like in Germany and say people have to work two years. But the current system where but there then is you would, no... then you would say Irish people have to work two years, yeah, but we don't have that at the minute. Yeah, so, 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 you're not going, so, so you're not going to do something differently uh, for other people? What I am, of course, saying you have to have, uh, you know, I am all for, my suggested in that interview that you could have the model of the German system where anyone who has rights, uh, as in Germany, has to work for two years. Another thing I've proposed... For Irish people. So you don't, you, you don't want Irish people to claim welfare unless they've worked for two years. Is that it? So I suppose the thing is... Is that, is that it? What, 
I suppose it would question. be good if you engage with what I'm saying as opposed to just, you know. Um, so what I'm saying is that we have a welfare system. The way it is modelled is not sustainable. Yeah. So there are two options. You can say to Irish people, there is no welfare for you, no pensions, you won't get a house. Or you can say there are a number of options to make it sustainable. Now, one option could be that people that come from the 500 million people from the EU, that their home country pays their welfare. That would be an option. Another option, you would say... So you want to leave the European Union? So I suppose the reason why we want to leave the European Union is that if you look at... So there are 128,000 regulations that have primacy. We saw the with the central banking system and the euro that that actually has made a whole generation of Irish people. Have, we are one of the most indebted countries in the world overall. Um, and also now we have this uh, where 500 million people can come and get welfare and housing, which means that Irish people are paying taxes, but they won't get housing okay. themselves when they, when they need it, uh, and they won't get uh, a pension or they won't get welfare. Well, so these are not black and white issues. No, and what we're not, no. saying for freedom of speech mm, is they're certainly not that we black have and white to issues. look at these problems that are caused by our membership of the European Union. And I've, all I've said is to open the debate. So it isn't like, oh, we have to stay in or we have to stay out. Let's actually discuss it. And I would say, what are the media afraid of, of discussing uh, issues associated with our membership of the, of the European Union? Because what I was going to say earlier on, there was a survey of 17 countries uh, a month ago, and 14 out of the 17 countries, the majority of people thought they would be better off as countries to leave the European Union. Okay, we'll leave it on that note, and uh, maybe uh, we should be thankful for how other countries have welcomed uh, Irish people uh, to exactly, but they there, never got so. welfare there. They worked oh, hard they and did. they built oh, their Oh, they did. Yeah. Oh, they did. They did. Exactly. Okay, thank you, Dolores. Thanks uh, for joining us. Dolores Cahill, chairperson of the Irish Freedom Party. The Michael Reid Show. Finnegan TD in Loud has written to uh, the clerk of uh, the Dáil asking for the Oireachtas Ethics Committee to investigate uh, the voting practices of uh, Fianna Fáil TD. Lisa Chambers, Fergus O'Dowd, is on the line. And a very good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us here on the programme as always. Uh, What is uh, the substance of your complaint? Well, the substance is that, excuse me, (coughs) I'm slight horse, Michael. Mm. The substance is that uh, on the 17th of January this year, Lisa Chambers wasn't sitting in her allocated doll seat, but she moved three seats away in the front of the doll uh, to vote for seven times Deputy Timmy Dooley. And that disappeared. The story appeared in the Sunday Independent. And it's in response to that that I asked the Committee of Members' interests to look again at this issue. And the reason I did that is because in October of this year, uh, following a, a complaint by a different deputy about Deputy Chambers, as she said, and it was accepted by the committee, that the vote that she did at that time for her colleague, Derek Leary, was done inadvertently, and everybody accepted that. And that, But she said she never voted for anybody else before. OK, but Derek Leary was not in the chamber when she voted for him, and <coughs> she accepted that that was a mistake, and she put her hands up. She was asked about this incident on the 17th of January, where she voted seven times for Timmy Dooley, but she says that Timmy Dooley was present in the chamber. Do you not accept that? Well, I, I, well, I mean, that's up to Timmy Dooley to prove it, as far as I'm concerned, because on the video, and it was 50 minutes of a video, so 
it's not five minutes like it's not you know it's not it's not a short period of time that Timmy Judy is not and cannot be seen anywhere. No, I accept that he could well have been somewhere else mm. in the doll chamber, but the camera certainly didn't pick him up. But Lisa Chambers moved to his seat. So, like, he, he wasn't sitting beside her, uh, you know. So, in other words, that was a conscious decision for her to do and a conscious location for her to go to. And on the basis that she it was the, that she never did this before, according to herself, that, that this is not actually correct. And now it's a matter for the Members Interest Committee to look at this issue, but this is not a frivolous issue, Michael, or it's not a vexatious, a vexatious point. It's, it's, it's very important that the voting processes in the Dáil are clarified, are clear, <clears throat> and that, you know, it's not normal practice to do that. And that's, that's my point. Uh, but isn't it one of uh, the problems with uh, the cameras in the doll chamber is uh, that there's uh, certain parts of uh, the chamber which are, are not visible and he, he could have been in the chamber uh, and, course, yeah. and, and if he says that was the case uh, it's very difficult to argue otherwise you're asking him to prove that he was how can he do that? Well I mean no no what I asked actually was yesterday for uh, Deputy Chambers to make a full and frank account of how she didn't remember this incident uh, when she was interviewed by this doll committee uh, the month before last. So, like, it's a question of, of that this is not the first time that, that uh, deputy chambers have done this and that and that is a significant uh, activity for her mm. in January, seven times to do it in somebody else's seat, which is not beside her. And uh, if Deputy Judy was there, uh, in, you know, like you would have, like I'm not saying he wasn't there, mm. but he's not seen on the video. So I think, you know, f- for the future, uh, you know, we need clarity on this. And that's why I wrote to the committee. But you said yourself uh, that on occasion you've voted for other people who yes. were in the chamber. I, I take yes. it uh, that it's possible uh-huh. that you voted for people who were in the chamber who can't be seen on camera. Uh, well, the fact is that anybody, uh, there are two people, one sits either side of me, and there would have been occasions when uh, when I may have voted for them on their request, but they would have been clearly visible to everybody, and everybody would see what I was doing. Uh, you know, like, I mean, there was no issue about that, but I, you know, I'm, look, come here, Michael, mm. it's, it's a matter now for the committee to look into, and basically when, when Deputy Chamber said on national radio on Morning Ireland, that this was the only time she ever did this. But this clearly contradicts that. All right. Uh, is it a, a matter for the next doll, for the 33rd doll, uh, to contend with and to put practices in place which rules out this type of practice? Well, I think what has happened since this controversy uh, has blown over, there has been uh, there's a significant change. Now, when the vote is called, every member of President Doll must sit in their seat and then it is checked that you are sitting in your seat, and then the vote takes place, and then everybody, there's a number of tellers appointed, then they check every name, and they check every vote, uh, and that is certainly, that certainly has happened. But the point here is that if the Fianna Fáil front bench, and the members mm. of the Fianna Fáil front, front bench we're talking about, they are they could very well be the next government. So it's absolutely clear that we should know exactly 
you know, what they are, what they, what they, how they have operated up to now. All right, uh, but I mean, I, I take it that we're going to introduce some sort of system uh, whereby TDs will use a thumbprint or a card or something like that. And uh, yeah, well, have, I think have anything, you, yeah, there's no issue. Like, it, I, like I don't have a problem with that. Okay, but uh, or, have you not made your point though in relation to what has happened? Uh, is that not historic, or do you need to ram it home? And if so, is that because there's an election looming? Well, obviously, clearly there is an election coming. There's no doubt about that, Michael. And from what we hear, like, we don't know when. Uh, and obviously, there's members of the Fianna Fáil party, at least one of them, John McGuinness, is saying that he will vote uh, and a vote of no confidence in any minister that might come up. And that would leave the doll uh, in a tie if the Count Cola votes with the government. It may stay. So there's a lot of instability coming. And the question is now that Brexit is to be about to be dealt with, I presume, by the end of January. Uh, you know, any time after that, emotion, no confidence mm. could succeed. And uh, therefore, like, the, you know, there is an election coming, so clearly we need to make sure that members of Fianna Fáil, like Deputy Chambers, you know, that she stands over, you know, she has to contradict what she said, because it clearly, absolutely, is not the first time. So you are electioneering by ramming home this point, because that point has been made time and again and uh, the TDs stood up and uh, apologised profusely and over and over again. But Michael, the, the absolute question to you is, is this something that we should raise? Is this something that I should ignore? That somebody said they never did this before, uh, clearly did it at least seven times on this particular date and there's no evidence uh, on any of the video that has been looked at of Mr Dooley or Deputy Dooley being anywhere. Now, it may well be that, that he was hiding behind, uh, you know, mm. <laughs> there's no sign of him. Like, yeah. There's no sign mm. of him. And he's in the front of the door, like he's not, you know, it's where everybody would see him. Yeah, well, he could have been elsewhere, as you've already yeah, conceded. No, I agree. Of course he could, and I accept that. Mm. Uh, I, I, and, I mean, is it worse than Fidegale relying on Dara Murphy's vote, Enda Kenny's vote, Noel Grealish's vote, uh, and indeed uh, Michael Larry's vote? Well, every member of the Dáil is elected by their electorate, regardless of, you know, of, of, of certainly who they are. Like, yeah, but you've like, been doing deals with Michael Larry and Noel Grealish, haven't well, you, on no, one hand, and on the other hand, condemning them for things that they've said or done in the well, past. Well, I, I have made it very clear what my view is on both of those deputies. And, and I spoke to Deputy Grealish after he made that, uh, what I believe was a racist remark. And I told him that while I respect him as an individual, uh, as a person, and do you not think I did Leo Vradker absolutely agree with what he said? Yeah, at but do you, do you, do you not think Leo Vradker did a deal with Noel Grealish in order to stay in office? Well, I mean, there's no deal. Uh, the deal is that you vote the way you vote. He's an independent deputy, uh, and in return for your vote, uh, what was it? Dennis Nocton said it was uh, adjustments to the fair deal scheme. Michael Derry has told uh, about things uh, that he's got. Uh, yeah, by doing deals a health centre in, in Tipperary and so on? Yeah. The, the, the core point that I would say back to is that independent deputies, uh, they vote this way and that. Uh, that is their role as independents. They're committed to no government or no opposition. So they vote for the issues that are important to them. But the point is the government needs a mandate of what we need now with the new deal that's going to happen in Europe with Britain pulling out of the EU absolutely uh, that we need to make sure that our economy, our jobs, our agriculture, our industry, our border, mm. you know, our north-south north, south, north, south relationships mm. 
we need a government to deal with all of that. Mm. There, must, there should be no uncertainty. No, no, well, no, you know, there must be a, you know, we need absolute, an absolute... Well, there was no uncertainty when Andy Kenny said he wouldn't be doing any deals with Michael Lowry, and it seems the only re- reason the Fine Gael government uh, is in office is because of the support of Michael Lowry. But having said that, as you said earlier on, an election is looming. When do you think that will be? Michael, I think, I think myself personally, uh, I, I think the Taoiseach has said, and he offered to Fianna Fáil that it would be next May. That's over a year ago. Michal Martin did not accept that. Now he apparently sent them a letter which Fianna Fáil have not yet, so they haven't published it. Uh, I, I don't know what's in it, but clearly, obviously, the government uh, has to go to the people. We may, must make sure that it, it is the one that affects the timeline, affects our economy as little as possible. And obviously, we have to, the cycle of the election mm. uh, you must not impact on any of the debates on Brexit. Brexit is the key yeah. thing. What's your preference? Uh, if Brexit is done by the 31st of January, would you like yeah. a snap election in February? Well, I don't mind, Michael, when it comes. Hopefully I'm ready for it one way or the other. You don't have a uh, preference? Pardon? Do I have a preference? I wouldn't have a problem with me. I wouldn't have a problem February. I wouldn't have a problem any time. No. But it's what the people want uh, and what they decide is the important issue. And that's why we're raising this about the Fianna Fáil front bench you know, that, you know, voting for each other on multiple occasions and saying that they didn't do that or that they don't recollect it. That's the point. You have to be able to trust them. Okay, we'll leave it there. Thank you indeed for joining us here this morning. Thank you very much indeed. Finnegale TD for Louth, Fergus O'Dowd. The Michael Reed Show. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents Garda are investigating locally. Perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Patrick Gill of Trim Station joins us for the report this week. And we begin with a cash in transit robbery. Yes, good morning, Michael. Uh, Yes, indeed, a cash in transit robbery took place in Trim Retail Park in Navingate last Monday, the 9th of December. (laughs) Excuse me. So Gardy investigating the cash and transit robbery at a retail park in Trim on Monday last, 9th December, have renewed their appeal for witnesses or information. At approximately 7.20am, the driver of a cash security vehicle was confronted on the forecourt of Circle K, Navin Road, Trim. He was approached by a male wearing a large high-vis jacket and forced to hand over a cash box containing a large sum of cash. And the suspect put the cash box into a large little bag. He then made his way directly across the main road into a field opposite the garage. Gardaí are appealing for anyone who may have witnessed this incident to come forward. Gardaí are also appealing for any road users with camera footage who are travelling on the Trim Navin Road, particularly the minor road which passes Marcy Regan's pub and links the Trim Dublin Road to the Trim Navin Road, which is known locally as Newtown, between the hours of 6am and 7.30am to come forward. And anyone with information is asked to contact Gardaí in Trim Garda Station on 046-948-1540 or the Garda Confidential Line on 1-800-666. Okay, now to an appeal for a missing person. If anybody knows uh, the whereabouts of uh, Daniel McMahon, Mr. McMahon has been missing from the RD area for a couple of weeks. Yes, that's correct, Michael. He's been missing uh, for a number of weeks, and indeed, as you pointed out, since the 29th of November, to be exact. So, Gardaí in RD in County Louth are seeking the assistance of the public to help trace the whereabouts of, indeed, Daniel McMahon. Daniel is described as six foot two in height, has tight red hair and a beard, and wears glasses. When last seen, he was wearing a grey jacket with fur on the inside, a white t-shirt, blue denim jeans, grey runners with a white stripe and a black baseball cap. Any information on Daniel's whereabouts, please contact RD Garda Station on zero four one six eight five three two two two. 
Now to Castletown in County Meath and a single car collision which occurred last Friday. Uh, you're looking for people who may have witnessed this. Yes, Michael. Guardian Navin are investigating a single car collision with, uh, which occurred in Gravelmount, Castletown on Friday evening last the 13th of December at approximately 7.20pm. A woman in her 20s was taken to Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital with serious injuries. Guardian are appealing for witnesses to the collision or anyone who may have dash cam footage to please contact Navin Garda Station on 046 9036100 Now to uh, burglary in uh, Rathlust uh, this uh, occurred last Friday as well It did indeed Yes uh, Guardian RD are investigating a burglary from a premises in Rathlust between 5am and 6am on Friday last the 13th of December Entry was gained to a shed in the compound and a significant amount of tools were taken Guardian are appealing to anyone who may have been in the area at the time and notice any person or vehicle acting suspiciously to contact RD Garda Station on 041-685-3222. OK, and we'll uh, talk about uh, preventing crime from happening uh, before you leave us uh, this week. Uh, Garda are making a special appeal the time of year that it is uh, as well for people uh, not to leave items in cars. Yes, yes, that's, that's correct, Michael. Unfortunately, um, the time of year that's in December, uh, August and December are peak months for thefts and cars. We're focusing on December, uh, given the month that we're in. Tuesday and Friday are the peak days. So today and Friday are peak days for, for thefts from cars. And noon to 6pm are also the peak times. So between that, that time frame as well. And the average value stolen per instant is roughly €600. Euros. Uh, the most common items taken are cash, electronics, tools and handbags. And we, uh, our, from our guard perspective, our advice would be to secure all doors, close all windows and set your car alarm. Double check your car doors are locked. Take valuable property with you. Do not leave property on view inside your car. Park in well-lit and secure areas and report all thefts from cars or suspicious activity to the Gardaí. Notify any car park attendants or security staff. Okay, indeed. At this time of uh, the year, I gather there could be a lot taken. Uh, As you say, €600 in cash uh, is the average uh, amount uh, that is stolen or it could be the equivalent value in uh, uh, the items that you have in your car and that could lead to some great disappointment and some very disappointed children for that matter Uh, but uh, speaking of uh, the Christmas period uh, that's uh, the final crime desk for the year and uh, very happy Christmas to all in Angarda Siakana and likewise and on behalf of myself and all my colleagues in Louth and Mead I would like to wish you your listeners and indeed their families a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and please do keep safe over the festive period. Okay, Garda Patrick Gill of Trim Garda Station. Thank you very much indeed. We'll return to the Garda Crime Desk in uh, the new year but that's all our time uh, for today. Our time has run out as once again. Before we go, let me remind you that there will be a podcast available of today's programme on our website LMFM. Our thanks to Marie Kearns for producing, Maggie McGuire for researching, and Chris Marie in the control term. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.